0: Hello and welcome to another episode of EKU Online's ECAST series. EKU Online's mission is to change lives by producing, providing access to affordable and high quality degree programs in meaningful disciplines that positively impact our society. We thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is Dr. Michelle Grimp, who serves as associate professor in the College of Education and as Coordinator of the Education of the Deaf and Hard of Hearing Program. She is also the Special Education Graduate Coordinator. Dr. Grimp received her Doctorate in Speech and Hearing Sciences from Washington University in St. Louis. Prior to joining EKU, Dr. Grimp worked as a Research Associate for the Center on Literacy and Deafness at Georgia State University. She also worked as the education coordinator at Central Institute for the Deaf and as a deaf education practicum coordinator for the Washington University School of Medicine Program in Audiology and Communication Sciences. And finally, she's worked as a teacher of the deaf. Welcome Dr. Grimp and thank you so much for your time today. We sincerely appreciate it.
1: Thanks, it's nice to be here, Steve.
0: Well, let's jump right in Because of the special nature of your discipline, can we begin by defining some terms that perhaps many of us use interchangeably, but perhaps incorrectly? If you would, please define for us terms such as deaf and hard of hearing, hearing impaired, phonology, speech impairment, and other key terms. What's the correct terminology to use?
1: Okay. So, so the program um, is, is education of the deaf and hard of hearing. That's what we call it here at EKU. Um, the, the state of Kentucky, actually, when students graduate from our program, they get a certificate that says certificate in hearing impairment. Um, hearing impairment is, is not um, an a culturally sensitive term to, to use because um, people who are deaf or hard of hearing don't necessarily view their especially if they're a deaf person born from deaf parents, they don't use that as an impairment that they are, that is they have a, la- a shared language, they use ASL and they communicate. And so so out of respect, we use people first language, right? So we say a per- persons who are deaf or hard of hearing are a deaf or hard of hearing person. Um, and there is a definition like for, for kids to receive services in the school system. Um, deaf is that you, you're, the, the sort of definition of that is that um, even with, um, uh, Assisted listening devices—you're still not able to access spoken language auditorily. So that's really what deafness means. And then hard of hearing, you can have um, a range of hearing loss from mild all the way down to um, profound. And but you're somehow you are able to access spoken language and auditory information with through that through your devices, through a, a cochlear implant or a hearing aid. So. Um, so that that's really the difference between those two those two terms, and it's just we kind of just say deaf or hard of hearing because some people will identify as deaf or some people will identify as hard of hearing, but we kind of group them into you know one category. When you're talking about things like some folks don't consider it. A, a, and impairment, um, that's, that would be if they were proficient users of American Sign Language, right? And then, um, But about 90 to 95% of children who are born deaf or hard of hearing are born to hearing parents who don't have a background necessarily in, in ASL. And so then they might make the choice to, to have their child learn spoken language, right? That's when you get into things like um, understanding and developing speech skills um, at, a, at a very young age. So the key with deaf and hard of hearing in order to ensure overall academic success you really have to focus on early identification and early intervention and then you can if you if you go the route of spoken language that's when you talk about developing their speech skills and teachers of the deaf work hand in hand with audiologists and with speech language pathologists who will help to work to work on those speech and language skills ultimately whether kids are reading um, are using ASL or they're using spoken language, they're ultimately gonna have to learn how to read written English. And so there's a big focus on that and in, in, in developing those skills to, to be a literate person in society.
0: Wow, that, that, sounds, that sounds very complex. I, I think back on um, the story about Helen Keller, who was blind, uh, couldn't speak and was deaf. And I just can't imagine how difficult that must've been for her. To be able to try to assimilate some type of communications uh, through through what she did have, what she did possess.
1: Yeah, there's a system that's, that's called as I, I believe it's a Braden um, system where you where you can use tactile clues to, to help people understand how you're forming sounds, and if you can't see the, how my mouth is being formed or something like that, then you can use. Um, actually your, you know, your hand or a child's hand on your face to, to help them to feel how your mouth is opening and things like that. So it's that's highly specialized, um, the, the deaf and, and blind um, certification. That's a highly specialized field.
0: Very good. Well, Dr. Yeah. Grant, um, please tell us a little bit about your program. How many faculty positions do you have and what specific degree programs or certificates are offered online?
1: Sure. So I'm really the only full-time faculty member for the program. Um, So I teach the content courses, um, and then I have some adjuncts that that help me um, with some of the uh, supervision kind of. So we have, um, so the programs that we have at the graduate level are all online. Um, And so we are really happy to say that we have a, a certification program, just certification only. So it's a teacher, out. Um, out there in the field somewhere that wants to add deaf and hard of hearing certification. He or she could do that because I do have males in my program. Then I have so I have certification and I have the Master of Arts in Education degree in special education with the hearing impaired um, certification What is, is what it's called, DHH certification. And that's also online and that one you get the actual degree, right? So, so you take all the certification courses, plus you take the um, core degree programs, which include you know, there's some research based and you you develop an action research project. Um, And those are across many different degree programs that are online at EKU. And then I'm very excited to say that we just started in the fall to be able to add the deaf and hard of hearing certification to our our already well-established MAT program. And so now um, if we have someone who has not, does not have teaching experience and teaching certification they were always ineligible for the graduate program, Um, so now what you can do is you can get the Master of Arts in Teaching, which is an initial certification, so your very first teaching certification at that master level, if in deaf and hard of hearing, Um, and so that makes that route a lot quicker um, than, than it would be if you were, you know, say you were a a history major or something, and you wanted to then teach deaf children, Well, you'd have to go get a teaching certification and then add the deaf and hard of hearing. But now you can do it just in one step. So you can get a master of arts in teaching for deaf and hard of hearing. Um, and so I, I was really excited that we got that approved at the state level. And um, we have two students in there now, and I've got a, an open house in, um, this week, and I, there's at least two or three students um, registered to, to hear more about it. So. So, wow. so to make a long story short, right? Um, the Master of Arts in Teaching, the MAED, and then the standalone certification of the, the options that we have online.
0: Wow! So that MAT program just started in the fall. Mm-hmm. Very it did. Good.
1: Yeah, it Very was added good. to because we have a you know we have a longstanding MAT program with different certifications. So the Master of Arts in Teaching, and you can do elementary, or you can do middle grade science, or or whatever it is you wanted to do. But now you can do F and hard of hearing.
0: Very good.
1: Well, let me ask you,
0: Dr. Graham, as you counsel and advise students, where do you see many of them working after graduation? Are, are they all teachers or are they in other fields as well? And I guess in other words, what kinds of skills can students learn and what kinds of jobs can a graduate expect to land when they earn a degree in this discipline?
1: Okay, that was, that's a great question. Well, actually it's interesting because you said where do they land? Um, well, a lot of times is where they come from. That's interesting as well. So, so as I mentioned, the MIT is new and, and that means that someone who is an interpreter, someone who's a parent of a child who's deaf or hard of hearing and has some other kind of profession, right? Um, someone who's, who's not been in the field but just has always had a, a, a desire can, can make a change then and then become a teacher of the deaf, right? And then when they're finished, many of the people that are in the program at the graduate level, are already teachers somewhere in the state of Kentucky. And, and there's a huge shortage of teachers of the deaf nationally. There's a huge, there's a huge shortage. So in my undergraduate program, which is not an online program, you know, I get emails all the time to, to ask if there are any candidates, any graduates that are interested in going to you know, Florida or New Mexico or Tennessee or whatever. But at the graduate level, we have a lot of Kentucky students. Who are going to stay in Kentucky? So we're we're really trying to recruit from school districts um, and counties where there's a need. So there are there are some children who are deaf or hard of hearing, and they don't have a teacher that's um, trained and specialized in education of the deaf and hard of hearing. So, um, which is really a disservice because it's a highly specialized field, um, and and um, if they're only getting services. From someone who has not had the coursework, then they're really not getting their their educational needs met. Um, so for the most part, they stay in Kentucky, and and lots of times they're they are encouraged by maybe their um, director of special education or something to go ahead and pursue this because they they are they sort of need it now. It's like real time. They need to to um, kind of on the job training, so to speak. They can end up in a public school system, and then the way they can the the Roles that they would play within that can vary. So um, there are some larger counties. So, for instance, Jefferson County and Fayette County, where they have schools that are that they take a, a cluster of children who are deaf or hard of hearing, and, and they go to one elementary school and then they go to one middle school, sort of like that. And and they'll have some class, some time in a classroom with other children who are deaf or hard of hearing. And so you might be a, uh, someone might be a teacher in that little. Um, self-contained kind of room where the kids are there part of the day. But the other thing that can happen is they they can go to work in the public school system and be an itinerant teacher, which means they would, a teacher would travel to different schools within a county. So to one elementary school, to a high school, back to another different elementary school where there are kids who are deaf or hard of hearing who don't need all day intense instruction from a, a teacher of the deaf, but they need support in certain content areas, and so they, they would see them certain number of minutes um, per week to meet their educational needs to help them um, stay on par with their, hear, their hearing peers in the educational system. Um, and then, of course, they could work at a, a, a school for the deaf. We have just, just one school for the deaf in Kentucky, but we've had recent graduates Um, end up out there. And then we have one additional option within the um, DHH certification that's called DHH with sign proficiency. So that's, that just requires candidates to take up an additional test that's put out, you know, it's like, it's a national test um, in ASL. And if they, if they are proficient in that um, test, then they could actually teach ASL as a world language in a general education setting. So to high school or grade school kids that could teach ASL. So um, I think it gives teachers a a wide variety of options um, for what what it is they want to teach or where they wanna teach.
0: Very good. Now this next question may be a little odd, but I'm just curious, are many of your students deaf or hard of hearing themselves or speech issues?
1: Yes, there are a number, I've had a number over the years and right now I currently have um, um, at least I have one student, two students in my undergraduate program, um, and I have at least one student, no, two students in in the graduate program as well that are um, that are themselves deaf. Um, that's really that's so interesting because um, you know in online courses we do a lot of um, a lot of. Um, Collaboration and communication with this within the class. So, so we're always asking the students to share, right? Um, to become involved in, and to communicate, collaborate with one another. And then we have, you know, naturally discussion board kinds of topics like, what do you think about this? And and the students who are deaf um, themselves have a great perspective. They've lived through this experience of of being. Maybe the only deaf person in, in their classroom, or um, knowing how difficult it is to to access information um, in a noisy classroom, or something like that, right? Um, and so um, they really bring a, another element to the to the in a dynamic to the class that that all of the other students really appreciate and benefit from. So, and and I think part of it is that they've grown up, and and they've had struggles, and they want to. Um, use the knowledge they've gained to help students just like themselves, you know, because they've, they've lived through it.
0: Well, that, this segues really well into the next couple of questions talking about uh, effective online teaching. I know firsthand, because I've looked at your courses, what an effective instructor you are, and would you please share with our audience um, tools or approaches that you use to give your students really a rich and meaningful online learning experience?
1: Well, first of all, we get to work with um, instructional designers in the eCampus program who are just phenomenal. They, they really have um, ideas that um, if faculty aren't like, um, on the cutting edge of what what's the, what's the new technology I can use to implement something. I want to do this and I want to be able to share it with my students in this certain way. Um, they're always finding new platforms for us us to use. And so um, I think one of the things I like the best about the courses I've been able to develop is that um, I don't just take a textbook and say, here, here's the textbook, let's read through it and then you'll be done. Um, I We look for supplemental sources. So we we. We have a foundation in a textbook right so you have some chapters that you'll read and, and um, but it's but it's much more about experiencing and and collaborating and applying your learning so it's it's um what what does this mean i'm going to learn this terminology um but i'm not memorizing it for the sake of memorizing it i need to be able to communicate um to teachers that are don't have the skill level that i have to parents who yes they might have a child who's ever hard of hearing but they but they don't, they've not had any education in the field of, you know, how do you, how do you develop language? How do you encourage language at home? How do you help to develop literacy skills? How do you do these kinds of things? Um, So I, we use, you know, um, PowerPoints that are, that since it's online, I I provide, we narrate PowerPoints and then they're always transcribed, right? So that students have access to them. Um, I've gotten a lot of feedback from students when there's when there's a PowerPoint that's not narrated, um, I would I would think I would get tired of listening to me, but but they they enjoy that, right? Um, but I've also used things like um, there's a, there's a wiki feature in our Blackboard site, so that's but it's just a shared site. Could, you could use Google things as well um, to to get students to collaborate over a shared sort of case study problem, right? Um, I've used. Um, um, Flipgrid is, a, is another great thing that students can use it's it's just you can use it on your phone but you but you interact and you you post a video message to students in your classroom um, that are sharing in the classroom and I look for relevant YouTube videos that are that really can do just as good of a job as I can or or I try to put it in multiple, representations right so so i so, so they'll read something then i'll i'll have a powerpoint about it but then there'll be somebody else that does it in an inter- interesting or entertaining way right so that there's lots of lots of mechanisms for people to hear and read and and experience the material in multiple ways and i think that's probably one of the the biggest things that i really like about the online is that we try to make it as interactive as possible um, same thing with grading. You know, I, grading is, to me, grading is not about a point system. It's about a feedback system. Um, I want you to be the best teacher you can be, and so I'm going to provide you with um, suggestions and feedback to help you get there, not to um, not to penalize you for not knowing the information right away, right? So it's just a growing experience, and, and um, and my students seem to really appreciate that. They know that they're, that they're going to um, be able to work with me to become, um, to, to be able to master the material. And that's really what special education is all about. Um, so if I want them to be good special educators, I have to sort of model that behavior, where I, my goal is that you learn the material and, and let's do this together um, so that you're successful.
0: Well, th- this really <clears throat> segues into the next question because I- I'm drilling down a little bit in talking about one of your courses. I know you teach a number of them, but one of them, CD 580 780, Audiology for the Teachers of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hearing. I noticed that you use a myriad of media, including voiceover PowerPoints, video, a lot of applicable YouTube videos, like you said, a lot of readings. Um, in some of your other courses I even noticed some animation type things. If you would, talk a little bit about the effectiveness you see in teaching using these kinds of tools. You've kind of hit on it here in a previous question, but how effective do you see this for the students with this myriad of mm-hmm. uh, different kinds of media?
1: Yeah, and I guess I just got excited talking about it to tell you all the things I was doing before you even asked. But um, (laughs) so, yeah, I I do use all of those things. And when you say interactive um, animations, I had an instructional designer that helped me with that. So you can set it up so that, you know, there's just like a step-by-step kind of thing and and students will answer a question and then it goes to a next sort of, you know, sort of a logic Puzzle kind of thing um, paradigm where 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 students can progress along learning a topic right so that that they they're they're moving through it and it's more interactive and that's one thing that I really like is an interactive kind of thing um, like I said PowerPoints are are great and there's a place for them but they're very linear um, so that you know there's a start and a finish and so if you can present the material in a way that's a different organization that's more spatial that that you can look at it and 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 um, and be able to um, focus in on the, the piece that you didn't quite understand or that you want to remember again and, and um, one of the things that I've been experimenting with um, more and more as is, um, is in um, in the Google Suite there's a Jamboard um, kind of um, um, application that's really just a big whiteboard and you it, basically you're sticking post-its up there right so but you can build lots of creative ideas um, and add to it and it's really you can do it in real time or you can um, kids students can access it you know sort of whenever they can but you, but it's it's a, it's a shared workspace. Um, and so I really like that idea of being able to have a, a, a collaborative, project that the students are working on and you know all students say they hate group work but if you set it up the right way um and it's not they're there that i think people hate group work because they always feel like there's going to be someone that's holding them up right they can't finish the assignment because they're waiting on someone but if you design it and work carefully with that's what i did with instructional designers is work carefully with it so that so that um students are doing independent work but that, it, that their independent work um, works together to, to make a bigger piece. But that one piece doesn't depend on the other, and that they do get you know credit um, for what they're doing um, fairly, right? And so it's all about it's all about making sure that 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 you're fair in, in your grading. And and like I said, mine is not about a grade so much as it is about demonstrating your understanding of the content. And if you need to do that more than once that's okay, because lots of times I've had to do things more than once to get it right. So, um, but yeah, I think it's all about the finding, finding the software um, and the applications that allow interaction um, among students and with with myself and with um, the students.
0: Well, you know, I've noticed as you've been talking about online teaching that you get very excited. It seems like you're very passionate about that. What, What do you enjoy most about teaching online?
1: Um, you know, I would not have, I, I didn't know what to expect because I had not taught online until I got here at KU. I really do like it. I feel like, um, I feel like it's personal. It's, it's because you can make comments to students, um, you know, in their, on their, com- on their work or in just the grading section. Um, and, and they know that you've paid attention to it, right? That it's right there. They know, they know. Um, whereas sometimes if you, if you collect a lot of papers you know you're just you're just grading them and sending them back but um i think you can get more of a personal um relationship with your students because you can say something directed at them and the whole class doesn't have to hear it right it's it's just between you and that that candidate that that person we call them candidates because they're getting ready to get certified, but, but um, I can say, you know, it looks like you're having trouble with this. You want to contact me and we can set up a call and I'll help you with this. Or you're doing, the, you did a great job on this. Um, you know, you should be really proud. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased at how well you understand this. Well, everyone likes to have that personal relationship. And I just think it, it allows you to do that um, and takes away that, that uncomfortable feeling for students if they if they don't like participating in, in a big group. So, um, and, I, and I, I really do find that, st- that the students will often, s- I'll, I'll make a comment on um, something in Blackboard and I'll get an email. This is, I saw that you said such and such, you know, so, that, so they're paying attention to the comments that you write. Um, and I feel like um, the students that are in my program ha- have the, uh, uh, nearly equal passion that I'd have for teaching children who are deaf or hard of hearing. So, so if I can make sure that I admit that to them, then, then they're gonna be better teachers. So yeah, I can't help it, I really like it.
0: I'm gonna going change directions here just for a second because th- this next question really interests me. Um, it's my understanding you have the ability, that you personally have the ability to award a scholarship to special education students so my question is, what are the criteria that are used to determine the winner?
1: So actually we've been able to secure through grant funding um, from the WHAS Crusade for Children um, for a number of years running now, um, grant, um, we've received a grant to offer scholarships to students in special education at the graduate level. So it's not just deaf and hard of hearing, it's it's our other areas of special education. Um, and and there's an application process um, that, that you know there's a notification that goes out and then the students complete an application and it's it's um you're kind of your standard thing you know um we ask for things like grade point average but at the graduate level they're all they're all doing they're all working hard right so um but it's it's also um there's some short answer or or small essay questions sort of like tell us about your background um tell us why you're interested in in this in in special education what is what does special education mean to you and and we have a committee that reviews those and um and we try to we try to um um Do our best to to give at least a smaller amount, even if we have to, to a larger number of students, because we know that that a lot of the our graduate students are, many of them are paying for this, you know, out of their own their own salaries and 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 their own budgets, and so um, there. They're very appreciative. We always get emails that that say, you know, it's it it was maybe five hundred this year, or maybe it was a thousand this year. But you know, um, those those amounts just really add up, and so they really are are pleased with that. And we're we're very proud that we've been able to obtain that funding for so many years in a row.
0: Very good, very good. Uh, I'm going to shift gears just a bit here again, Um, and this is probably a maybe a deeply personal question, but I'm very interested in it. What are your thoughts, Dr. Grimp, about the treatment of the deaf and hard of hearing in our society today? I mean, is there still a stigma about, and I I may be calling this wrong, about this disability or um, this hard of hearing or deaf status? Uh, Are they treated equally to the hearing population when it comes to things like career choices?
1: Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, Well, I think, I think it is that um, there's, there's a a lack of knowledge, public knowledge about um, deafness and and deaf and hard of hearing. And there's a, there's a um, a false impression that, that if you're, if you're deaf, you can't speak. That's not true. Right. Um, And, and then there's the other, there's the other part of our culture that equates speech with intelligence. And so it's really language that we're talking about, language and literacy and being a literate person that allows you to be successful. But as a culture, if there are any barriers to communicating with someone, it's too much effort, right? We might not wanna put forth the effort to figure out how am I gonna communicate with this person? Um, and so, so I think sometimes they're disadvantaged. I think one of the best things that's come out of COVID is that there is a lot more captioning going on in the world. And so I feel like that's just wonderful because um, I mean I've noticed when 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 people wear a mask that I have a hard time understanding what they're saying, right? And and lip reading is really not you can't get information um, 100% of information. In fact, you can get less than half of information just trying to lip read alone if you didn't have access to to the auditory signal as well. And so I think the 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 way. Um, deaf and hard of hearing people are treated as, oh, they, they, if they're using sign language, they speak a different language, they don't talk, they mustn't be as intelligent as me. And that is absolutely not true, right? It's just that they, they speak a different language than, than you, than you or I. And so um, it's all about access um, and, and equity, right? So they, so they might need an interpreter um, if they use sign language and not spoken language um, to communicate with you, but they also can, read and write um, and, and need the opportunity. They need obviously um, explicit and specialized instruction to reach those levels, but they have the the um, intellectual capacity to do that. We just have to figure out how to teach them. And so I think um, that that um, society does not do a good job just like we do not do a good job with a lot of disabilities, um, but I think it's misunderstood and it's, it's um, it's a low incidence popu- um, population, which means you know there's not it's it's not a high incidence disability in terms of how many people that you know you're going to run into on a given day that that have a hearing loss, right, or deaf or hard of hearing. Um, so I just think it's a lot of misunderstanding, miscommunication. Um, but I think um, I think there's a lot of people that are willing to to help change that, and people that are receptive. It's just that they don't know.
0: You know, I I recently read this very interesting article. It's from December, 2020. So it's just a a few weeks old. Mm -hmm. And it was from Tel Aviv University. And there's some scientists who are experimenting with gene therapy to quote unquote, cure deafness. Now the World Health Organization believes there are about, oh, about half a billion people with hearing impairments or deafness worldwide. First off, which which astounded me that there would think that there were that many people, right. uh, With that, with that, what are your thoughts about such a cure? If in fact that that really is what it is.
1: Okay, well, I I, um, I actually did happen to have, have seen that same article. Um, but it is what they're talking about in this is it's that it's a gene therapy, so it is um, it's designed to go in. Um, if, if, they, if they know that a child has um, a certain um, her, has a certain genetic predisposition for for okay. a certain type of hearing loss so and, and it's um, a progressive hearing loss so they're born and they can hear right and so then it, but but over time they would lose their hearing so they can go in and pro, and proactively do something to the genes to to prevent the deterioration right so so um, that would work for a smaller population of the of the, all the hearing impaired people because um, genetic um, causes of deafness account for about half of deafness, um, but not all of it. And so some of it we just don't know. There's you know there's just there's no there's no gene marker that can say that's why the person was born with a hearing loss. It just happens sometimes. Um, so in that case, the other type of research that's been going on for years, and they just it's just really complicated and, and, um, and technical is, um, so the way, that, the way hearing works is that, you know, you have your outer ear that collects your sound. You have the middle ear, which is, you know, just on the other side of your eardrum. Um, and then, so you have all this sound and then it goes to uh, the third spot, which is your inner ear where there's this little cochlea that's lined with hair cells and the hair cells actually receive the sound signals and they make um, tra- neurotransmitter kind of signals to your to the auditory nerve and, and it goes to your brain. So what happens with a sensory neural um, or inner ear hearing loss is those hair cells are either missing or damaged. And so the way to cure deafness is to regenerate those hair cells so make them grow again, um, and that's where the trick is, like how long is that going to take us, they've been trying to do it in mice, they've been trying to do it in, in um, amphibians, they've been trying to do it in small um, small mammals, um, and they, they have, you know, some limited su- success in some areas, but it's still a ways off before adult humans that they can do um, regenerate hair cells, but that's what it's going to take, and even then, you know, will it be available to Every person who's deaf or hard of hearing will it work for every person who's deaf or hard of hearing? Probably not. Um, so, so I, I'm always excited to see these new, you know, medical treatments that that can um, provide, um, you know, some some good outcomes for for some of the population. But there's not there's not one golden ticket yet for for actually curing um, deafness.
0: Well, speaking about research, I, I'm curious what. What are your research interests, Dr. Graham?
1: So my, my research interests um, um, are really what can happen in a classroom of children who are deaf or hard of hearing to improve their um, literacy outcomes? Because if you if you have good reading and writing skills, you the skys the limit, right? You can You can be successful. Um, and so um, my one of the things I'm most interested in is, is this idea of working memory and of sequential memory, right? So that, because everything we do, if you think about it in, in um, literacy is is based on a sequence of events. You have to be able to hold things in your memory and remember what happened first, next, last, that, you know, it starts out with narratives like that, but, it, it, but it's really true, language is based on uh, predictable sequence. Um, we have word order in our sentences and things like that. And so being able to, to develop those skills um, to a level of automaticity. So, so um, what happens is you have, if you have struggling readers, they're, they're always struggling with the code. They, they can't break the code. They need to decode the words um, and then they need to, to put the sentences together and figure out what they mean. If they're spending all their energy on that piece of it, they lose the idea that's behind the written words. Um, And so so you really have to work on that decoding. And then the other area you have to work on is the language because because the English language has the crazy way that you can say, you can have the same meaning and you can turn, but you can move words around in the sentence so that they, they look very, very different, but then the meaning is the same. So for instance, if I said, the bear chased the lion, you can get a picture in your head. And if I say the lion was chased by the bear, I move the words all around in that sentence. It doesn't look like the same sentence, but the picture in my brain is still the same. So you have to help kids understand um, language. And so so my my research is interested in how can we develop those those, um, automatic skills when it comes to remembering and recalling things so that we can really focus on the meaning and not the task itself.
0: That's fascinating. It's that, um, have you been working on that a long time?
1: I, well, I've been working on it. Um, I worked on it all through my dissertation. I worked on it a little bit in, um, in the grant I was on it in, in Georgia. Um, and here, um, I've really focused more on the impact I can make on my, my my students, the graduate students, and, and um, the undergraduate students that I have. Um, but I'm very much hoping that I can, um, I, I have some relationships with some of the schools. I just, um, I'm very much hoping to get back into being able to get into the classrooms and, and do some of that. So maybe someday when I get a sabbatical, I'll be able to, to try that again.
0: Very good. Well, as we begin to wrap up here, would you tell our listeners a little bit about what your personal interests are? What is it you like to do in your spare time? Oh,
1: um, well, you
0: have spare time.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't have a whole lot, but I really liked. I really do like to read, and I will say that um, that I have um, have I, I've made it a, a priority that I always have a, a library book and I'm reading something all the time. And now I'm kind of into the thing where I. I've gotten those lists of 100 best books or, or this or that. So classics that I've never read before I, I like to read. Um I really like to bake. Um so pies are my favorite thing to bake. I find it really calming and therapeutic. Um my my children like pies too. So but um and then the thing I really like the best is uh, being a grandma. <laughs> so um we have a grandson that's going to be 2 in March and um and I like to I we they're not out of town. So so my husband and I moved to Kentucky for this job. So, my um, I have I have two sons in St. Louis. One in is moving to New York today, and one that's in in Austin, Texas. And so, I don't see them all the time. But um, when I can see my family, that's really that's probably when I'm happiest. Is when I'm around um, my kids and now my grandson. So, um, oh, and I love flowers and um, gardening. Even gardening like flower gardening and gardening like vegetable gardening. Um, But all that stuff takes time. And sometimes time is hard to find.
0: Well, Dr. Graham, we we wanna thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you and, and getting to know you a little bit better. And it's been really interesting learning more about this really vital, important work with the education of the deaf and hard of hearing program here at EKU. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. We've really appreciated it.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. You can kind of hear that I kind of like the program a little bit. So, um, and, and it's really the only the only deaf and hard-of-hearing program in, in the state. So um, I feel blessed to be here. And I really am happy um, that I have the opportunity to have so many great students in the program. So thanks, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you.